Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kerland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part two of our three-part conversation with Lucy Butler. Lucy is a horse owner and a clicker trainer. She's also a special ed teacher. At the start of this school year, she was assigned all the repeaters for freshman year. That is, all the students who had failed ninth grade were assigned to her. That would make many of us, myself included, want to run for the hills, but Lucy was really excited by the opportunity that this presented. I met Lucy last summer via my virtual clinics, and during the clinic, she talked a lot about her students and her plans for the school year. And given her her interest and her excitement and her need, I suggested that she join us for Science Camp. I knew she would learn a lot from the presentations, and I also wanted to connect her to one of the other attendees, Dr. Claire St. Peters. Claire is a behavior analyst who teaches at the University of West Virginia. She's been attending my virtual clinics, which have been great fun for both of us. And I thought Lucy really needed to meet her, and I was right. They got in touch with one another after science camp, and Claire set Lucy up in a mentoring program with two of her students. The results so far have been worth shouting from the rooftops, and that's what we're doing in this podcast. Some of you may be thinking, what has this got to do with horse training? And all I can say is, everything is everything else. Horses influence every part of our lives, and the connections are definitely worth celebrating. This is another of our long conversations. We talked with Lucy for over two hours, which is much too long for one podcast. So I've broken it into three parts. In the first episode, there was no good place to interrupt the flow of the conversation. So I just arbitrarily stopped about a third of the way through. We were talking about the importance of good mentoring. And so that's where we'll pick up again in this episode. Enjoy. You know, I, the last time I was catching up with Alex and Claire, Claire mentioned mentioned that that coaching piece is just, it's, you know, it's just absolutely priceless. Yes. I just don't think you could do it without it. It's, it's very interesting. I find that when we have models and we don't have that many of people who are positive reinforcers, it's very precious because we don't get to see a lot of it in action. You know, we read about it, but you know, once in a while, there are people around us like Dr. Susan Friedman, who you see in action applying these things, you know, in all kinds of conditions. And it, <laughs> it's, and you learn from it. You learn from seeing it done to you <laughs> and to others. We need, yeah. we need models like that. We need to see this in action. 
Yeah, we need to experience environments where that's how, I mean, so much of our culture and our world is, is built on a very different model. It is more, I, I believe it's more pathologically oriented. Mm, definitely. And so, you know, to internalize it enough to have enough awareness of our own thought processes and our own lenses that we're viewing a situation, you know, any situation through is, it, it just takes a tremendous amount of practice and it does, it, it takes the modeling. And mm. I also think, you know, one of the things that I run up against in a school setting is just the, I think Alex and Zomi, you both, excuse me, talked about it when you talked about Lakoff's work and the frames. Yes. Is that an equiosity? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's frames at work too, that mm-hmm. there's some folks, some reaction to the environment I've set up is that I'm going to do some harm somehow mm-hmm. um, because I'm not correcting and I'm mm-hmm. not tough love, you know, using tough love or, or you know, what about the expectations? Are the expectations high enough? So the, the real world isn't like that. You need to yeah. prepare them for the real world because they're, they're not gonna, <laughs> they're not going to be able to survive if you treated them if they've had this cream puff existence. <laughs> I yeah. I love this one on so many levels, Alex. I've been thinking a lot about that because first of all, what is the real world other than a culture that we've created? So. Yes. I believe we have a whole generation of kids. I have kids in this classroom that could go out with this positive mindset and maybe we'll create a new real world. But I've also been thinking about it just organically in the environment, thinking about it with horses. I don't believe that nature is all pressure release of pressure. And, you know, like, like, of course we have moments when we have to experience some kind of sharpness and a negative reinforcer you know, if you think about just like a natural environment, like, and if we use a horse as a model, yes, sometimes there's going to be a predator that comes, but a whole lot of their existence is operating in that seek mentality, you know, like, like just going out and searching for the right answer, the water, the grass, problem solving. So I just, I'm beginning to believe that we just have the ratio around the real world all backwards. And if we actually sat out in the field and observed how much of the environment, what, what is that ratio? I, I don't think the ratio is as much. I, I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I haven't right, actually, right. but <laughs> it's just a theory I'm, I'm, you know, thinking about a lot right now. But it's great that you are measuring and you are taking this approach because that will certainly help. Although, you know, like you say, when your mind frame, when when even facts we know won't change someone's mind uh, if you, you know, they decided or they, they are in this frame of mind. But I think it it's it's very useful that you can have measures and you can show that, you know, it's just it's not just this fun thing that there's mm-hmm. actually results at the end for these these students yeah yeah and the, the results have been really exciting and the um kind of experimental design is is a little a little interesting a little heartbreaking so what we've what i've had to do simply by the structure of um the school year and how these students were handed to me so i i work in a career and tech school so um we have the students are all placed in shops and they're learning things like auto repair and we have pre-engineering and 
uh, health careers. You have a big nursing program. Um, and so the, the part of the kid's day is spent in the shop. So I was given these students, these 13 kids, the repeaters, and I only get them until until this, this holiday break. So I only got them for the first half of the year. And the cohort is gonna be split up. Um, I, I had them the first period of the day and they're all gonna go into their shops um, when we return on January 4th. I get to keep, of that 13, I get to keep four. Um, so nine of them are going to go back into the regular program. Some of them will have no academic support, some of that nine. Some of them will have academic support with a different teacher, so a different environment. And then the four that I have will have me and they'll have the same environment. And two of them will have me straight through the whole rest of the school year. And two of my four will have me every other week. So I have, <laughs> I know it's a lot to process, but I have um, what, I've, what I've learned um, from my coaches is a um, multi-tiered reverse baseline <laughs> experimental yes. design. Oh, that's so, interesting. Tell so us the, about that. So the intervention has been applied at the beginning of the, you know, time frame of the experiment. I have had 13 kids since the beginning of the school year where I've created an environment where we're using positive reinforcement to develop self-monitoring skills. So that's the first half of the experiment. Then there's a, a phase change, as we call it. We're going to remove that environment and those um, interventions uh, in a tiered way for those 13 students. So, you know, there'll be some that'll have a complete removal. The, the intervention and the environment, it goes away completely. And then some of them are going to have a traditional academic support. So they're going back to a sort of traditional method uh, of supporting those kids. And then there'll be some who will get a partial uh, dose <laughs> of the intervention with me. And then there's two who will get, they will have the full uh, year. So we'll have this set of data that's gonna show us what happens when, you know, we had, we've had great, great success. Um, all of the kids who have been in the 13, who've been with me this year have been passing their classes. Um, I have been measuring their GPAs. So I have kids who are attending regularly and are experiencing the environment, you know, with fidelity. They are all, you know, passing at least six of their seven classes. And then I have a variety of different grade points from there. I have, I have one student who is a three-peater. <laughs> so this is her third freshman year. And she, uh, she's passing all of her classes right now. And what do they say? Oh, that's you? the best part. <laughs> you know, the data, you can get really nerd well, out on the data. it's very important. But, but yeah, oh, I actually keep a little running journal of the anecdotal evidence because that to me is, those are, those are my reinforcers and that's the stuff that, you know, you can't measure. But as an educator, it's, that's where the rubber meets the road. So, I mean, I, I have kids who, you know, literally, I have this one student that all the other teachers would talk about him and say, like, he is just like the definition of inertia. You can't get him off the phone. You can't get him to do anything. And then one day he he got some 
point increases that were probably just like, honestly, random. He did something in class and he got some point increases and he got his name up on the board, you know, for a point increase. And all of a sudden he just sat up and was like, I'm here, I'm present, let's do this. And he just, he's, he's another one of my kids that is um, above a 3.4 GPA now. I mean, he just literally came to life. Wow. You know, it makes me think of Mary Hunter when she says you have to find the starting point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For him, it was just that tiny little success. It just mm. flipped a switch for him. And he's just, you know, rocking out. <laughs> That's what I tell him. Yeah. So he's just affect wise, just amazing. He just, he just turned back on and re-engaged. I've had students, one of my favorite ones, Alex always says, the longer you stay with an exercise, the more yeah, good things yeah, you yeah, see. Yeah. And you see the component skill give birth to other skills. So I, I had a kiddo, you know, we're learning how to like, we're drilling down into how to look at our points and they're learning how different assignments have different point values in a weighted grade system. And she, she turns to me and she goes, miss. The kids always call us miss and mister. It's kind of a cultural thing. Miss, I just had a thought. If I do the easy assignments in class, and then I do easy assignments at home and I do hard assignments when I see you, I can get all kinds of points. <laughs> I was like, we've probably been telling this student that for many, many years. Mm. <laughs> she, just, she just realized how to manage her time and how to be efficient in her work without me like nagging her. It mm. was her own realization about, and, you know, it's a self-management. She realized how to, how to do, how to use her time. And she actually ended up talking to me after class one day. She said, I really want to do homework, but I'm not good at coming home. I'm so tired. We had a tremendous conversation about what it's like to be a student and how difficult it is to go from school to go home. She helps her mom at home a lot. She works and how to find time to do homework. And the thing that was amazing to me is this was coming from a place of she was motivated. She wanted to do it. She was asking, how do I set up the, the environment in my own home? And how do I make, build the mini habit? Um, so we, we talked about mini habits and, and, you know, her first job was to just clear some space on her desk and take a picture of it. And we, we put it up on the board, look what she did, you know? You and then what's, what's the author of that book? Uh, you know what, if I have it on my, I'm actually listening to it because that's oh. my mini habit if I listen. <laughs> well, let me get it. I'll just get it. Yeah. Well, I'll be right back. Okay. So that was an uh, amazing one. Another one that um, same student, she said to me, I thought this was so impactful for me as an educator to, to hear this from a kid. She said, you know, I'm so tired being at school all day. There it is. Mini habits. Stephen, do you pronounce this guys? G-U-I-S-E. Guys? How would you say that in English? So Stephen Guys, yeah. it's a small book, but it's interesting. Very powerful principles in there. <laughs> yeah. But so, so this student, same student, is actually in the same conversation about being able to do homework at home. Um, she said to me, you know, Miss, all the teachers think it's the technology. Oh, it's the phone. It's the phone that we're always on the phone and we're distracted. It's like, it's not the phone. It's, it's the, the bad feeling, it's the stress, it's the anxiety. And she's a student who has really wanted to be successful. And as she's 
you know, feeling that success, I, I just see her growing into that identity more and more. Um, but that was really profound. So, you know, you, all you guys think it's about the technology. And she's saying that that was the source of the disengagement. And it's like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. They know. I had another student, this is, again, more speaking to the stress that they experienced. But right before the holiday break, um, he was saying, I'm not coming to school tomorrow. It was the, the last day before the break. And I was teasing him. I was like, oh, don't you want to come? And we'll, you know, we're going to be having fun and enjoying each other's company before the holiday. This was in another class. This was not from my cohort, just, just another student in one of the classes I co-teach. And he said, no, miss, why would I want to come someplace where everybody's always yelling at you and stressing you out? Mm. And I was like, that's such a, a perfect example of, you know, right. Why would you? Why would you? Um, yeah. But other, other things I've seen the kids say, you know, I think I mentioned they, when they get up on the board for earning their points, they snap the pictures and they, they send the pictures home and they're so proud of themselves. They're so pleased. I had the one, one of my students actively trying and encouraging another student who um, his attendance hasn't been great come, you have to come. If you come to this class, you're going to do better. Um, so she's, you know, using that, that, and to teachers, that's like gold. when <laughs> You get that pure, pure, because it's going to mean so much more from her than from me. Um, so that's been amazing. Oh, the other thing I've been doing, I've been collecting data on their um, emotional state. I can't believe I forgot about this. I asked them, um, they do a reflection sheet every Monday and every Friday, and they tell me what they're learning, what they'd like to accomplish, part of their goal setting, and how they feel about school. So we've seen a, um, you know, a measurable and significant change from the students reporting uncomfortable feelings about school. Um, We use an emotion wheel. So it's almost like a menu. It's a, a wheel that has all the different emotions that, you know, is kind of the range of human emotion. And one side is uncomfortable negative emotions and the other is comfortable positive emotions. And they can select and tell me what they're feeling. And um, you can, you know, we've graphed it. It's moving over to the positive, but uh, the, the things they write, you know, just they tickle me. They, they feel joyful about mm-hmm. being back in school. Um, amped up. (laughs) Yeah. Engaged, you know, like it's, that's, that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And just school kid. Yeah. You know, on a Monday morning, morning, right? Because you usually, I mean, the the stereotype is so how, uh, so how was your day today? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And you had the the one the student you told me about who was who said, no, I, I think I'm gonna really succeed in this class. Oh yeah, I forgot. So I had a student who he was not a repeater, but at the beginning of quarter two, he was already failing everything. So um, he's a sophomore. So the guidance moved him into my class with with me. So he entered in sort of in the middle of this project. And um, very, very sharp student. I went over, you know, here's what we do. You have a folder and and we set goals and we are only looking at, you know, I'm very clear. We're only looking at your successes and your wins. So I explained the whole system to him and he had earned a few stickers in the 
day or two he was with me and he was walking out on Friday morning and he said, you know, miss, I think I'm really going to be successful. All the academic support classes I've taken, I think this one has, he said, I think this one has the best system Mm. and I think I'm going to be successful. And that was really amazing to me that he really could see that, that there was a system and that it was different. Um, he's a student who has been in the academic support <laughs> program for a while. So, so that was pretty telling too. So it's yeah. just, um, so this know, is the first year you're doing this, correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. So hopefully you'll be doing many, many years and that will be, I, I'm assuming the school is um, supporting you. Yeah, they're, um, my direct supervisor is really interested to see the data we get you know, I mean, the, the tough part for me is the way we'll be able to see if this works is that we're actually going to see a drop off in their success. So, you know, the students mm-hmm. who don't continue. Although, you know, you, because you said in a way you're teaching them the skills to continue without you, aren't you? I hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think the thing I'm concerned about is that, and I've been talking about this with my supervisor and with my coaches is that I haven't actually, you know, if we think about it from a constructional model, and I think back to some science camp um, principles, I haven't actually built the skills yet. You know, I haven't generalized them. I haven't mm-hmm. very deliberately set it up so that the kids could carry these out. Some of them I think will. Mm-hmm. There's a few I know who have just, they figured it out. They, mm-hmm. they see what we're doing and they, they know, like when I look at my grades, on the digital grade book, this is what I need to be thinking. But some of them, I, I don't think I've like proved the, the skill yet where, where once we step out of that environment where they don't get the cue, um, I know this is gonna be audio only, but like they, their little um, folders that they get, this is like their folder that they get on Monday and, and Friday. I don't know that without that, you know, is this cue, or how to think about well that it's that um, expression that Jesus has of recreate the conditions and the behavior will occur. So you put mm-hmm. them back into the environment in which they're being criticized. Right. And where the focus is on their failures, not on their successes. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, recreate those conditions, what will happen to these learners? I wonder if you can build skills for that too, you know, to prepare people for harsher conditions. I mean, it's tough to do in four months, right? Or not even (laughs) maybe three months you have with them. But, you know, it's a bit like taking your dog to the vet when they're not quite ready. You've been training, they're almost there, but they're still lacking some skills and everything falls apart at the vet. And you feel like you're like, you've, you've lost everything, which is probably, not, which is not true. You haven't right. lost everything. You know, I, I, you can certainly rebuild, but um, that's a tough one. It definitely yeah, has that. Tough one. <laughs> it's, it's a little painful. And it may be heartbreaking too, because yeah. I hope, you know, you don't want them to become cynical, but I don't think because whatever you gave them 
will stay with them. You're probably the kind of teacher they will talk about when they're 45 years old. Oh, yeah, I remember she was, I think her name was Lucy. She was <laughs> great. She changed my life. It's because you know? of her that I did this and that and that. We all have a teacher like this yes. in our life, don't we? In fact, I, I have um, I have a little wall of teachers on my in my classroom to remind me and and Alex you're on there <laughs> along with B.F. Skinner <laughs> but I have um my I had a teacher in high school I I struggled in school when I was you know a kid and I had a high school teacher um Miss Adele Compton she was just absolutely amazing and she was I I can literally I look back through all my years of school and I have one teacher who stands out she was the one and, um, and interestingly enough, I, she was using positive reinforcement. I don't know that she would have called it that, was aware of it, but she... And I'm sure no one's surprised to hear this. Yeah, <laughs> Every, I'm sure everybody has. We all know this because we've all experienced yeah. this, what yeah. it does to us. Yeah. I think that's why probably most of us came into this community is because we've experienced what it is to learn under pressure and negative and negative reinforcement and punishment and what it is to learn because there was this one teacher somewhere <laughs> that used positive reinforcement so yeah i th i think you know if if you i hope if you gave them that feeling of being competent that experience i should say not that feeling but that they can be competent i don't know that it can be erased after that Maybe harder with other people, but well, that and it's a start. Nice. It's the beginning for you. Yeah. What are yeah. your your What do you see for this project? How does it evolve in your mind? Do you have you thought it out or? Well, I there's a couple of pieces because I do have the two students that I'm continuing with for the rest of the year. So one of the goals that I have is to start thinking about how to very deliberately work towards generalizing these behaviors so that the, they can go out into the environment of the rest of the school building. And I know that the skills are durable. So can we start changing the environment in ways, you know, can I start controlling that so that I'm changing the environment bit by bit? So for instance, if a lot of the cue to think positively about, you know, point gain and to set goals is happening through the folder that I give them, can I start pulling that back where we're using it less and less and less, but mm -hmm. they're actually learning to do the thought process of goal setting and looking at their point gains. Um, can they start to do that using, we have a electronic grade book that the kids can access. And they always say to me, miss, why do they put your C and your F in red and your A in green is <laughs> even color coded to sort of trigger them. So actually helping them be able to, to see past those sort of, again, those are poison cues. So a big project for me will be actually, you know, really trying to engineer a kind of durability for mm -hmm. the self self-management skills. And then, you know, obviously collecting the data, I'm going to continue to collect data every Monday and every Friday on all of the cohort and see who's retaining, you know, their, their success and who isn't. And I'm learning to graph all of that. So I'll be graphing all of that mm -hmm. so that I can show that to my administration. And I think from there, 
my supervisor is interested in having me potentially start training the other academic support teachers if this is working. And that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But I'm also interested in sort of going deeper into the component skills of self-management too. Because I, I told Alex last time I saw Alex in, at the beginning of December that I sort of feel like really what I've accomplished so far is just almost like that stage where you're loading the, the clicker and you're yeah. just getting the learner to realize like, oh, this is different. And oh, I can, you know, feel that success and get that, that goodie through my behavior. I think like with that student who realized like, oh, if I do homework, if I do work outside of school, I get to keep feeling the success. I think that was sort of anecdotally one of those moments of the light bulb going on in the learner's mind, like I have some control. Mm -hmm. So I only feel like I've just scratched the surface. Mm -hmm. So some of it's going to be continuing to experiment with the principles as they can be applied in, in the classroom with these, you know, two, the two learners I have full time. So that's, you know, <laughs> those, are, those are my hopes right now. So I want to go back to the instructional design and the mm -hmm. data collecting that you're learning sure. from Claire's students, because I think that's such an important element and often a weak area for those of us who are working with our horses, you know, data collecting, oh, ooh, uh, graphing, graphing. <laughs> who wants to collect data? I just want to play with my horse and yeah. the experimental design. So what yeah. kinds of things have they helped you to see and understand in terms of the design of the program? Hmm. Okay, let's see. So one of the major principles when we were talking about data collection is like what information can I sort of like record as either a, they sort of describe it as like a yes state or a no state or an on state or an off state. So the behavior that I want is clearly there. And I can say like, check, yes, it's criteria. It's having a clear set of criteria. So for example, when I wanted to collect data on the student's emotional state, their feelings about school, I had to find a way to be able to uh, say that they were either experiencing an uncomfortable and negative feeling or a comfortable and positive. And it couldn't be subjective. It had, there had to be a measurable criteria. So I, I, I have to, you know, usually the, that exists. It's just in the way that you define it. Um, so, so we work a lot on you know, I might come to them and say, well, this is what I've sort of like the impression I have, or how do I measure it? And then yeah. we, we really work on like defining that criteria. And then I know I've, I know we've done a good job or I've done a good job with their help when it gets easier to actually measure it in the classroom. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I notice when, when I've sort of ill-defined criteria it gets really hard. Like literally, it'll be labor intensive to try to put the data down. When it's well-defined, it's not that onerous to collect the data. And it's kind of actually reinforcing and fun. I'm beginning to become a real data nerd through this. Mm. So, so it's really worth taking the time. Um, the other thing I realized is that 
so with the what I'm using is I have these reflection sheets where the students are giving their self-reporting, you know, they're using the, the emotion wheels. I'm also collecting data on like the work that they set out to do at the beginning of the week and the work that they accomplish. Um, and they're also defining whether an assignment is, you know, like we use a difficulty ranking, how hard is it for them? And sometimes I'll look at that and think like, oh, this feels kind of like a mess and maybe it's not, I'm not actually measuring what I wanna measure. And the cool thing is because I have a record, I can go back and look at it and I could, I could code, code the data differently. Yeah. So yeah. as long as that record of the behavior exists, I can always go back and see what's there. It might be that my lens is a little wonky, but so for people who are videoing, for example, with an animal, and if you're just looking at the behavior, you can always go back to the baseline or you can always go back to the video and, and that doesn't just evaporate. The, the record of that behavior is there. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it, it feels like, oh, I've painted myself into a corner, but you know, I think you say this, Alex, like the good thing with behavior is there's always <laughs> more behavior. So, right, right. so, you know, you can, you can always have the cup of tea <laughs> and, and rethink it. So, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. And, and so do you, do you have like, a, is each student like one project that you see evolving as a single subject? Or how, how, how do you look at all, of, all your samples? It's both. I would say I have to do both. So I'm looking at, so, so in my actual like spreadsheet, each student is entered in, you know, individually. And I have different behaviors I'm tracking or skills I'm building. And there are different tabs in the spreadsheet. And I'm looking at the whole group, but I'm also looking at each, each individual one. It's really interesting because sometimes you think that they're acquiring the skill or they're demonstrating progress. You know, my one of the big ones I'm tracking all the time is I'm looking at their GPAs. Sometimes you think they're doing better than they are. And sometimes you think they're doing worse. And you go back and you look at it and you go, oh, actually, there really is growth. I'm actually seeing growth, even though, you know, I might, I might not perceive it day to day. And I think that's one of the really powerful things about data too, is that you, our perception isn't always what, what might, you know, be going on yeah. measurably. Yeah. So it can really boost your spirits. And then, and then even if it's not going the way you thought it was, if you know, then you can make changes. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a real um, power to it is what I've discovered. I, I was getting very excited when, right before the holiday break, our last coaching session, I was really learning how to graph things. And I was getting really excited. Like, oh, look, you can see, you can mm. see the, the growth happening. It was really, it was really cool. Very neat. So I, yeah. I assume in the next semester, are you going to have new students? No, well, I'm going to continue with um, the four that I have. Yeah. And then I, I'm, I may pick up a few more coming into other academic support classes. I'm now gonna take, uh, I'll have three academic support classes just dispersed, you know, so I'm gonna continue the, the environment and the application of these principles. And then I also am a co-teacher in a sort of traditional geometry class. And that's a study of contrast. <laughs> it's like, 
it's like two different worlds. I go, you know, as a when I co-teach, I'm in the classroom there to provide uh, specialized instruction as the special educator. And so I'm really there to support students who have, you know, a, a documented disability. And I'm not the lead teacher. I don't control that environment at all. And in fact, the particular room I'm in, this is a teacher who's probably been teaching 35 years. And I have, in some co-teaching arrangements, you might have a little bit more say and a little more impact in the overall environment. And this one I have pretty minimal. So it's really interesting to go back and forth from my little corner of the building, which is like a pocket of joy <laughs> down to <laughs> the sort of like business as usual. It, it, it's, it's actually really useful. I can sort of look at traditional approaches and apply the lens of a sort of a behavior analytic lens to that and see what's going on and experience what that environment feels like and what the outcomes are in that environment, just, you know, again, through observation versus what's going on. We'll stop here for now. Again, there was no good place to break into this conversation. But it's good to pause and think about the gems that have popped out so far. So that's what we're going to do. In other news, we're getting close to the Clicker Expo. I'm very much looking forward to my presentation that I'm going to be doing with Michaela Hempen. We've created a program that is truly like an overstuffed suitcase. You know, the kind where you have to sit on the lid to get the thing closed. I'm looking forward to the explosion of ideas that are going to come bursting out once we open up the program. It's going to be very fun. So I hope you'll be joining us at the Clicker Expo. And next week, we'll have part three of our conversation with Lucy. Music